You're listening to Stage Dives, the flagship podcast by Smack Media. I'm your host, Aaron Chan. Normally, we break down our favorite bands, artists, rappers, and their concerts that have come into town. Other times, like today, we talk about the entertainment and pop culture worlds. On our website and social media channels, we take care of both daily. Visit us at smackmedia.ca in your domain search. We've got a big show today celebrating the 25th anniversary of Radiohead's OK Computer, one of the most lauded albums of all time, a classic whose sound and theme are due for a renewed discussion. We were we recorded this in mid-April with two Smackhead heavyweights. You'll find out who they are in just a minute. Uh, but we'll be taking off June before we get to our loaded docket of shows in July and August. Make sure you check out our other episodes on Tyler, Mitski, Nick Cave, as well as our TV breakdowns and stuff like Better Call Saul and Winning Time. For now, though, here's our conversation on Radiohead and OK Computer. Jared here hosting this very special episode commemorating one of our favorite albums. Jared, say hello. Hi, everyone. <laughs> and actually, we've got a really special guest here today, someone that I, uh, I'm i really happy to have on the show. We actually, ever since we started, I've been stoked to have this guy on the show. He famously coined the phrase, GoPro strap dicks. <laughs> <laughs> in his review of Life of Pablo while discussing the song, what is that, Feedback? <laughs> no, it's uh, uh, Highlights. Highlights, thank you. <laughs> uh, Mr. Blake Bartholomew, say hello, sir. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, thanks for quoting what is, I guess, a questionable legacy to have. But, you know, <laughs> any legacy at all, I suppose I should be happy with. So I'm he also was happy sitting- to be here. He was sitting underneath the Morrissey James Dean poster. Now he's sitting under what looks like a Akira Kurosawa. Real Bravo. In Japanese. In Japanese. Just, just to give you uh, an idea of who we have on the show here for this very apt episode that will be celebrating the 25th anniversary of OK Computer. We're actually recording this in April, though uh, it will be released in May. Uh, OK Computer, the third album by Radiohead, uh, a transformational album. Music that was seemingly purposely made to define its era, uh, the mistrust of politicians, the evolution of technology, the cultural malaise that was invoking England in the 1997 post-Britpop. Uh, it is when Radiohead went from being a great band to being an, an important band, many, many would call a canonical band, if you will. Uh, um, they began cementing their reputation as a band that were willing to con- constantly challenge their audience with this album. It's what many would call a quintessential record. Uh, one of the high, most highly reviewed albums ever in popular music. Radiohead would tour the album for almost a full year to wide appeal. Uh, most of you listening, hopefully, uh, and if not, we'll get through this, but are familiar with the story. Uh, Creep almost put them into one-hit wonder territory, put them on the map, received constant rotation on FM radio. Uh then they released the Benz, which uh, allowed them to be a more respected band, if you will. It took them to stadiums. It got them on MTV. A lot of people were comparing their ascent to U2. Ha ha. Now we can see how much that has changed. Uh, OK Computer is what makes them an important band. Uh, their music had become more complex. Nothing had been uh, as sophisticated or has contained as many movements as something like climbing up the walls or paranoid Android up to that point. I think why we should com- get, why are they compared to you too? Because 
you do had the boy on the cover and Pablo Honey had the uh, little, <laughs> boy on ba- the flower. little flower baby. I think it's like emotionally powerful, kind of uplifting and from the UK, I guess. Uh, I've I've seen it around. I've seen it a couple of times. Uh, but I would like to just ask both of you guys. Uh, OK Computer seems to be the album that a lot of maybe lazy journalists – uh, would say when a new important record comes out, they say this is this generation's OK Computer or this is the hip hop OK Computer. <laughs> what do you think they're trying to say with that? What is OK? What's that OK Computer label? We'll start with you, Jared. I mean, the most recent case of it would have been Donald Glover in his uh, interview with himself with Interview Magazine, right? It's been four um, minutes, and I knew this would come up like, like, yeah. <laughs> like right away. Uh, it, it, that just you, uh, just to in brief everybody, Donald Glover compared his album "Because the Internet" as, uh, to the rap game "OK Computer," kind of a loaded statement, if you will. But Jared, what does he mean by that? I guess what he means is something that is like – and what I think most people mean when they compare something to OK Computer is something that is kind of like it pushes sonic boundaries. It is kind of antithetical to what is currently going on in you know popular music and also like has like lyrical subject matter that is kind of distrustful of certain social constructs and – infrastructure that's usually what i take when someone says that something's like okay computer is because the internet one of those examples i don't agree necessarily i'm willing to be proven wrong by other people uh but uh that that's what i feel people mean when they say that this is this generation's okay computer it's something that's like very against the grain and very distrustful blake you're a bit of a tough sell Do you, do, you, do you think that that's a stupid thing to say about any album, that something is this generation's OK Computer or it's the new OK Computer? Um, I, when I, I mean, I don't know if my framework for how I think about that album is quite as diverse as, as what Jared said. I think of it more just as a band uh, transitioning away from a more traditional sound and incorporating – what really is like a huge amount of other sounds, you know, studio or otherwise into their mm-hmm. music and, you know, just taking a big step into what could be experimental territory or just, just more, you know, diverse sounds, instrumentation, uh, that kind of thing. Whenever a band does that, you know, you can, you can relate it to Radiohead. You can relate it to, I guess, other bands have done that in the past, but mm-hmm. what made it, special for Radiohead particularly was this fusion of electronic music and rock, which had not really done before. Mm-hmm. I, I, a lot of people will look at, okay, and this is so great that I have you both here because we have one guy looking at sound. We have one guy looking at theme and that's sort of the two ways to look at okay computer uh, to me. And just like upon re-listen, re-listen to prepare for this pod. Uh, it was the sound just like an identity via sound, nothing really sounds like this to me still. Uh, it's a very unique sonic album, and I believe much of what is trying to be said is being communicated without words, whereas a lot of the lyrics obviously point to this cometh of the times and the world's about to end mm-hmm. and we can't trust technology. If If you look at it without the lyrics, I still get that kind of coldness – that kind of distance from just hearing the music the band is making. Jared, you look like you want to say something. Well, I, actually, Aaron, I wanted to follow 
uh, on with that idea because uh, something that was really surprising me uh, in my research of OK Computer with you know the great uh, oral history that Andy Green wrote for uh, Rolling Stone is yep. how much of the lyricism actually wasn't really trying to be introspective or uh, or make any observations on the world at large at all. A lot of it was just them being really, really Tom York being really, really exhausted from touring and like, you know, like stuff like Karma Police. It was just like, yeah, I don't know. I heard the buzzing of a fridge and it reminded me of some of the stupid people I was talking in America. So that's how I felt about that. And it, like a lot there, there doesn't really seem to be any like any actual attempt to make any like kind of profound observations, even though that's really what the album does uh yeah i i find the contradiction of that very interesting and much of it's done through melody and structure and spirit dynamic and arrangement and that's what i really what really kind of pushes me uh when i hear this album i want to just talk a bit about content contextualize um how this album came to be it starts with the help album a charity project raising funds for the war child charity that radiohead contributed on they record the song lucky in five hours uh it was inspired by the war in bosnia that version would make its way to the album unchanged uh tom york mentioned that lucky was indicative of what we wanted to do it was like the first mark on the wall after the success of the Benz, Parlophone gives them a 100,000 pound budget for recording equipment, which would be about a quarter million US dollars today. They decide they want to do it themselves. Uh, they hire on Nigel Godrick, who had previously been their engineer. He engineered the Benz. He had produced a few of their B-sides. Uh, I believe Black Star, the song that is on side B of the Benz as well. Yeah. They sign him on as a co-producer. He sticks around for every album since. He's essential to getting this thing to fruition, and you can hear his skill, <laughs> the difference as soon as it's laid out in the headphones. They have no deadline. They take a break in the middle of recording the album to open for – Alanis Morissette, <laughs> who was so impressed with the band that she covered Creep and Fake Plastic Trees during her own set. I can't imagine a headlining act covering the opening act in their headset and just being like – you've already heard the song, Alanis yeah, Morissette's like, like, here it is again. Yeah. <laughs> I got two albums, guys. I need to fill this fill – this. we bought the stadium for three hours. I got to fill some time here. Hey, how about we hear Creep again? Um, <laughs> Johnny Greenwood mentioned that my main, main mentioned my main memory of that tour is playing interminable Han, Hammond organ solos <laughs> to an audience full of quietly despairing teenage girls. <laughs> and Alanis Morissette hated that when she heard well, that in the interview. Like, that's not that pro- is that that problematic? That's probably what I, happened. I, I, I don't necessarily think so. I think Alanis Morissette just didn't want her audience to necessarily – she was – basically the issue that she took with it is that she feels that her audience is very eclectic, which, I mean, it is. Um, and, Turn uh, the house lights on, Alanis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it frustrated her. It frustrated which her. Is, which is, is all fair. And yet the songs are still so good she played them. <laughs> there you go. We love you, Alanis. Uh, me and Jared at least. <laughs> Um, the tour earned them silly money. Uh, during during this time, Boz Lerman reaches out, says he wants them to write a song for Romeo plus Juliet. I think is what you call it there at the movie. So they've already really made it in with the elites of culture. Alanis Morissette, <laughs> Baz Lerman. I mean, pre, who's next? pre Moulin Rouge. Wear your pre sunscreen, Baz Lerman. Well, 
Trust me, J- uh, Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman is coming right up because that's where they recorded the record. <laughs> but Boz, Boz Lerman, Bert Lerman gives them a copy of the final 30 minutes of Romeo plus Juliet. <laughs> Tom York would say that when he saw the scene in which Claire Danes holds the Colt 45 against her head, we started working on the song immediately. It gave us exit music for a film. Uh, mm. This helps shape the direction for the rest of the album. Fast forward to September 1996, they moved their recording to St. Catherine's Court, a 15th century mansion owned by Jane Seymour, Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman, or to most of our listeners, the Feel My Implants Lady from Wedding Crashers. (laughs) Vince Vaughn's like, oh, it was Owen Wilson, I believe it was. Uh, The Cure had recorded Wild Mood Swings there. New Mm -hmm. Order had recorded Waiting for the Sirens Call there. Neither would become as iconic as OK Computer. Tom York speculated that there were ghosts uh, present during the recording. Yeah, he said that there was speculated. Speculated. He said there might be ghosts in this. Yeah, man. The, it, direct quote: There was one point where I got up in the morning after a night of hearing voices, and I decided to cut my hair with nothing uh, but hand pen knife scissors. And he said, <laughs> "I cut myself a few times. It got messy. I, I can't." downstairs and everyone was like uh are you all right i was like what's wrong and phil very gently took me downstairs and shaved it all off (laughs) so um hallelujah i I guess this is a good time to sort of ask what do you think that um okay computer represents in the pantheon of radiohead albums especially post pablo honey post the bands pre-kid a uh blank i'll toss that to you Listening back to OK Computer after, you know, I think in preparation for this, I hadn't really heard it in probably probably years. In high school, I used to listen to it probably daily. Wow. And coming back to it now after familiarizing myself, you know, over the past years too with the rest of Radiohead's work, it's, it, it's strangely for an album that's, you know, touted as this sort of definitive masterpiece by a lot of people. It's really a transitional album, I think, where it's got one foot in that big, you know, alt rock sound of the mm. bands. Yep. And another foot in where they would eventually go, which is a much more, uh, you know, electronic heavy yeah. combination of the music. So you've got both of those in OK Computer, and they never really did it again. You mean the, the the dichotomy of those two sounds? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, the, yeah. The, I think after OK Computer, the sounds became merged in you know to me in a lot more efficient and uh, and and palatable way. Very interesting, Jared. What's your relationship with this band? Uh, they, I, I, I'm friends with you for about four years now. I understand that this is probably your all time favorite group. Would you say? Oh, a hundred, a hundred percent. And, uh, I agree with Blake's, uh, you know, uh, statement. I think it, 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 it's very much where Radiohead kind of finds their own. Uh, if you want to talk about my personal relationship with it, I just remember. And I, and I do. And I do. Yes. With the, with, um, the band, with the band as well as the album. Also, yeah. Uh, per- personally, how familiar are you with the band? Are you good friends with all of them? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I have Tom on speed dial. Uh, <laughs> he's still got speed he, dial. I'm sure he's got a yeah, Motorola he, Razor. He, yeah, because <laughs> he says, uh, the, the smile is uh, really, really coming. The project's coming really well, and it's going to be great. Uh, no, uh, my relationship with Radiohead is 
I don't know. I was a nerdy kid who grew up watching old episodes of Doctor Who. And I start hearing this band who's kind of seemed to share similar sensibilities to me. And, 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 and Tom, you know, Tom has a, a an understanding of depression that I, I wasn't quite used to. I mean, I, I'm, I don't mean to get too personal, but I mean, I've, I've struggled with chronic depression most of my life. Uh, so, you know, hearing songs like how to disappear completely and just like hearing someone perfectly capture these, you know, these, these, dark and strange feelings that you know are going through my head at the beginning of my adolescence it was just it was kind of just a perfect storm uh and as i've grown up i've kind of you know the band's kind of grown up with me so there are certain albums that i really liked uh in my adolescence that i've kind of grown out of i have some controversial takes on the bends that we can get to at some point if you would like um but yeah i don't know (laughs) but uh yeah i don't know it's just it just they they hit me at the right time and they just kind of they just kind of stuck i'm sorry if it's not a particularly special story but that's uh I, i feel like a lot of people probably share a similar relationship with them to me but yeah that's that's about it well i I'm, we're going to talk about the idea of overhype later, and I'm sure that uh, many people who, before they've heard OK Computer, have heard the title and have heard about this being like one of the great albums. Does that mm-hmm. change your mind when you put this record on? Like the first time, can you go back to the first time you ever heard this thing, and were were you disappointed, impressed, didn't know what to make of it? I actually didn't realize the hype around OK Computer when I listened to it for the first time. Because um, the, the first album that I really sunk my teeth into with Radiohead was in Rainbows. Um, and OK Computer is just a diversely... It's, it's just a very different record than in Rainbows. Uh, it starts with that loud string section with uh, an airbag, right? Yeah, actually, Blake very astutely pointed out that it was a combination of a cello guitar and a sleigh bell and i was like god damn you're right wow. <laughs> yeah, it's a very bizarre opening for this album mm-hmm. and, and there's like a, I, there's like a million different sounds and guitar tones oh and little you know doodads they throw in huge song. yeah well, the the oral the oral history um really gets into or no i don't even think it's the oral history i just know that johnny greenwood was talking about the strings on the record and saying that he felt that rock rock music's relationship with strings for the past 20 years before okay computer was basically predicated on what the beatles did on eleanor rigby and that no one had done anything different since i i don't wow. know if i agree with that uh but i, uh, that. I think they, i think the 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 notable you know, one before OK Computer would have been Smashing Pumpkins on Disarm. Disarm! Yes. <laughs> True. Moonlight okay, Mile! Moonlight Mile! <laughs> <laughs> well, here, uh, I... I uh, sorry, Jared, go on, please. There, there is one more thing I wanted to say about my relationship with Radiohead, though, because uh, it's interesting. You, you touched on my on my uh, roots in in Generation Z. I'm uh, what you would call a zillennial, and um, <laughs> I, would, I, I would never, I would never use that word. Well, I would never call anyone that. That's because, that's because you respect me, Blake, uh, and not many people do. Uh, but what I was going to say is, uh, it, it's interesting watching this new kind of relationship that pop culture has taken with radiohead as like this like kind of like the type of band like it's it's almost been associated with like incel music or like Ugh. or like male manipulator music quote unquote that's a, and that's it, a new one you're thinking yeah, of weezer you're thinking of weezer <laughs> you are thinking of weezer i just like I, I i i'm just a bit 
it, it confuses me how Radiohead got this reputation because if you like listen, if like if you listen to the music, it's like there's like like toxic masculinity is like not even like I don't even think Radiohead's interested in masculinity. So I'm I it just it, it kind of confuses me how they've gotten this weird reputation among among my my generation. I I'm still unpacking it. By the way, Zillennial is, I believe, what President Zelensky's friends call him, his close friends. <laughs> What's up, Zillennial? <laughs> uh, That's what I Sean wanted- Penn calls him. It's, Sean Penn. it's like, you're out of my country. <laughs> what, is this repu- what is this reputation of Radiohead and abusers? I, that's new to me. It's all it, over it's, Reddit. It's a, it's, it's a running meme on Reddit, and it's a running meme on TikTok. It's, it's all I can see. It's all I can see on TikTok when Radiohead comes up. Wow. Well, TikTok is the cultural barometer for <laughs> all things music now. Apparently. He's I mean, right. More powerful yeah. than any label or artist. Uh, I, I want to talk about the band dynamic because, you know, Kid A kind of deconstructs the idea of a rock band, as does Amnesiac, uh, as does King of Limbs, really. But OK Computer, you are really hearing a band, uh, a band with a major synergy. 80% of the record was recorded live. Uh, is the first thing they produce themselves. Um, I would call Radiohead probably the greatest three guitarist dynamic ever between Tom on Rhythm, Ed on Atmospherics, and Johnny kind of filling everything else. Um, I wanted to ask, um, you know, it's, it's, it's what, what, because I believe this is sort of the first album where Johnny Greenwood and Tom York would settle in to what they would be for the rest of the band's tenure and we're still in it right now and not just as lead guitarist vocalist because it seems like they're doing kind of a lot more and it, it, what, what they do for their band is different than say what any other lead guitarist lead singer does in a given band does anybody want to take that as far as can you define what johnny greenwood does for radiohead versus what tom york does within I mean, that i have band a fancy i have a i have a fancy little metaphor that i've like put in my head to kind of understand it and then i i will let blake extrapolate from that uh i i I view i view tom as the as the screenwriter as like you know someone who and once he you know he comes up with all of these you know crazy ideas and he puts them on paper and then he hands it to johnny and says johnny can you can you can you can you take this image these images in my head and can you put them on the screen for me and i feel that johnny is kind of the person who kind of takes like tom's messy screenplay and kind of or not messy but abstract screenplay and kind of turns it into turns into film it's the way that i've always viewed it yeah i i don't know if this is accurate my my feeling when i listen to it you know it's a song the songs like karma police that are you know these acoustic based kind of ballads i feel like those are tom songs that johnny adds to and then songs like paranoid android or you know maybe no surprises or airbag are these ones that are less of that acoustic guitar for foundation and more in the sort of this guy went to music school i started arranging some more complicated Mm -hmm. array of of various electric guitars and uh, whatever other instruments he'd get his hands on now you play music blake you're actually you know Quite, I would understand that you're quite a virtuosic classical guitarist now. Uh, I'd like, yeah, he's putting his gang signs up for those at home who can't see it. Uh, I would like to ask, because like, I actually, I was listening to both the records. I had my guitar out. 
because uh, I was comparing the Benz to OK Computer. OK Computer is very modal, and the Benz is still mm. kind of pen, pen, pentatonic. Uh, would you agree with that? Um, I guess so. I mean, when you listen to the Benz, you hear a lot of these big open rock chords that would still – I mean, they still sound like Radiohead, but they'd be kind of familiar, especially to anyone who's – really like played any amount of guitar you know you've got your like i said your open big sounding yeah. rock and roll chords but then when you've got on ok computer something like exit music for a film um and ha- or you know even yeah paranoid android the and first part uh, of paranoid lucky first yeah. part of paranoid has a lot more chord progressions that are Longer, more chords, more sort of weird ones that you wouldn't typically see in a rock song. And especially in Eggs Music for the Film is the one that I always think of because it makes these transitions from various chords that to me sound more uh, more of a, a classical tradition rather than something that came out of someone who listened to you know, a bunch of Led Zeppelin. Mm, totally. Um I want to talk about recording uh, just really quickly because I was able to pull out some pretty cool research about how these guys made this record. I mentioned that they went to St. Catherine's Court, a 15th century castle. Uh, they A lot of the reverb, reverb is natural. They got from recording on staircases. There's no audio separation. Blake, do you want to maybe mm-hmm. explain what an audio separation is? We were, this would have been a great question for Nate, who was originally supposed to make it onto this pod. Audio, Sorry, audio separation in what sense? In recording. You mean as versus live and like multi-tracking? Yeah. Yeah, well, I guess if you're doing it live, what you do is you have everyone on the floor in the recording room and they play the song together and you've got everybody mic'd up and, you know, maybe you use all the tracks you get from each instrument or you use one of them at a time uh, or maybe you just live track the drums or something like that as opposed to when you do multi-tracking uh, or, you know, uh, separation, which is where the drummer plays to a click, tr- click track on his own, her own starts there. And then each other musician comes in and adds on to that separately, not necessarily playing at the same time. Got it. So these guys, when you listen to this record, this is, you're hearing a band playing these songs more or less verbatim, right? But you, yeah, but you wouldn't really think that when you listen to OK Computer, it sounds mm-hmm. like, a studio construction um you know obviously less so with the bends you know the bends the bends to me sounds like a very live sounding album whereas kid a really for the most part does not so that's you know that's definitely an interesting fact about okay computers that it is mostly live and then i guess they layered on a bunch of tracks uh beyond that fascinating um so I, w- I found some of the influences, and there are a lot of them uh, that Radiohead were sort of citing as like, this is what we were listening to. This is what was inspiring us to get us to this point to record, release, create, OK Computer. Um, Bitches Brew, which I I happen to think when they said that, 20, in the last 20 years, people have been like, oh, it is kind of jazzy. It's not jazzy at all. <laughs> this album is not jazzy <laughs> whatsoever. They're like, oh, yeah, this – the, the chords on Subterranean Homesick Alien, they're jazzy. I'm like, this is not jazzy. When they when they originally it's it's beyond that. They considered Bitches Brew to be the sound of building something up and watching it fall apart 
the sound of the end of the world and the tension that comes with that. And they called mm-hmm. that the starting point, which I thought was a really cool a really cool like idea and it's ever since then people are like oh, oh it is kind of jazzy it is kind of like it's like jazzy like it's just um tom york listed three four songs as particularly influential on his songwriting he mentioned i'll wear it proudly by elvis costello that's on the album where he's got the crown i don't remember what that album is called blake King of america thank you cool. <laughs> fall on fall on me by rem dress by pj harvey and a day mm-hmm. in the life, a day in the life by the Beatles. Uh, he also cited Scott Walker as a major lyrical influence. Uh, they mentioned Ennio Morricone uh, as also a huge influence, along with Can, for how they abuse the recording process. Does this sound like mumbo jumbo, or do you, can you guys hear any of this in this album? I can hear dress for sure, and like just like kind of like the frenetic string section clashing with kind of the alternative rock sounds of pj harvey uh totally in a song once again like airbag or whatever like it's not like a one-for-one ratio but i can see them hearing dress and kind of looking at that song and going like "Ooh, what if we did our own thing with this Mm. like yeah the i mean the stripped back of sound of a song like electioneering which i know a lot of people don't like wow i mean (laughs) i guess that's an aspect of that but i mean to me, those are those are strange things that would not necessarily jump into my mind because especially something like Can and Bitches Brew are, I think, while mostly live, are still really long, you know, seemingly directionless songs at times. And at least with Bitches Brew, is sort of a definitive kind of studio creation for an album, at least that being an exception for a lot of jazz, but I mean, when I think of influences or something like that, what pops to my mind is, you know, Tom York, obviously someone who is envied by a lot of musicians and in a band that many people wish they could be in, but all he seems to want to do is be Aphex twin for most of his time. So that's what I hear. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Most of his music, he just wants to be this elusive semi reclusive, um, you know, electronic Englishman hiding out in Yorkshire. <laughs> Can you? You're a humongous Smiths fan, probably an even bigger fan of Morrissey as an artist in general, Mr. Blake. I would like to know. Can you draw a parallel there? Because they, I remember seeing them cover the Headmaster Ritual. I was like, oh, they do, and like the Bends and Pablo Honey, you can hear the Smiths uh, and stuff like that. Is it any? Is there any of that sort of remaining on OK Computer for you? Not really. I mean, definitely Johnny Greenwood and Johnny Marr have a similar sort of tendency to want to do these twangy, jangly guitar Mm. sounds every now and then, which which I really like. And it's a testament to Johnny Greenwood that he can do that along with so many other styles at the same time. But aside from being like a generally morose person, Morrissey is – and and Tom York, I would not draw too many – too many comparisons between although maybe you could i mean they're both english they have a lot of gripes they they hate certain politicians <laughs> uh, you know but more people hate morrissey than they hate tom york so a lot more a lot, <laughs> i would say a lot more uh, there's more i found more weird influences uh airbag was inspired by dj shadow uh, who would later open for them on their tour. No Surprises was meant to sound like What a Wonderful World by Louis Armstrong. That's amazing. <laughs> Exit Music for a Film. This is a famous one. 
bore deliberate echoes of songs from Johnny Cash's prison albums, Folsom Prison and San Quentin, <laughs> in the rhythm of its dark opening strum. Um, notably, no allusions to Prague, which a lot of people were making that comparison as soon as the ba- as soon as OK Computer came out. People were like, "This is progressive rock." Um, they themselves have denied any connection to prog rock with this one. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, pe- I, well, I mean, people think that they hear something that's you know what they might call, and I'm doing this in air quotes for anybody who can't see me, forward thinking and <laughs> utilizing you know longer songs, maybe more complicated structure, or whatever, and they think that's prog rock. But what prog rock really is is guys in capes and sparkles playing organ playing playing keyboard and organ solos in massive stadiums for 30 minute songs that's the progress and you know, proudly so but that's not radiohead is pink floyd prog sorry to cut uh, you off there jerry but in, in in that in that in that arena from what you just Aaron, explained what, what did i just say capes sparkles <laughs> And I don't see any of those on uh, Roger Waters. Okay. You also said, however, you also said like kind of like very like long in, in, in my case, almost like masturbatory song length. And Pink Floyd has like a lot of that. It's like in, you know, shine not on crazy. Real, I mean, there's not that. I mean, what about, an, like, what about like some of like the fucking like 20 minute cuts on animals? <laughs> yeah, but those are very well paced songs. I disagree, but I haven't listened to Animals in a while, so I I, I, I I can't get for it. I can't get for it to save my fucking life, but maybe I need to give it another try. I mean, Radiohead's if, if, if Radiohead is similar to Prague in any way, and Pink Floyd is Prague, well then they're similar to Pink Floyd, you know, spacey kind of end of Prague rock, but Prague rock, I mean, but like improv- improvisation, long solos, 30 minute songs. But wait, what about these are sub- not Radiohead's wheelhouse? What about subject matter, Mr. Bartholomew? Like, like it seems to me that Prague also seems to gravitate towards songs about life, like mental, like, like, well, you madness. know, like fan- fantasy and like ogres and dragons and, you know, strange occurrences in the witch house or whatever. I mean, that's Prague, you know, uh, the court of the Crimson King. Carnival Nine. I mean, I could just I could just list off wacky prog songs here, but I could never see Tom York, you know, weaving a, a tale of medieval <laughs> knights and queens doing <laughs> battle with spectral demons or whatever. You know, people make the prog comparison a lot with OK Computer, and in my opinion, I I, I actually feel that OK Computer weirdly has a lot more. Uh, connective tissue with kind of the glam rock of the 70s in kind of its absurdity and you know many people have made comparisons to Bohemian Rhapsody and Paranoid Android I know Happiness is a Warm Gun was also a touch point but that song structurally just has a lot more in common Bohemian Rhapsody and just like some of like I love that comparison I love the idea of the Bohemian Rhapsody as just being like a prelude to Radiohead, OK Computer. <laughs> but no, I but like I I find like you know a lot of people consider you know OK Computer is considered kind of a very like morose and depressing album, but it's also very zany and very strange. And like the the title is a reference to Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Uh, it, and it is, but they they're ne- they never sound like they're having fun. No, they okay don't. Computer. They they don't. But 
it, there is kind of a dark comedy to it. I mean, you know, Car- Karma Police almost feels rooted in like dystopian fiction with Tom York basically, you know, going to this sort of weird kind of secret police and saying, "Hey, I don't like this person. Take care of them." Yeah, totally. I, don't I like mean, this well, person. that's take care that's of like them. The- that's the Gen X irony of, you know, taking aim at all these normies living mm-hmm. their life. I, I don't <laughs> stiff if, adults, all I that don't really sort of thing. Get that with Queen though. There's not really, like a dark absurdity. It's just kind of like oh, we've we've left Queen territory by now, I think. Uh, uh, but to that to the Queen the Queen comparison, I also find okay computer very operatic. Uh, in the way that a lot of Queen's music is. That that's where I see kind of the Queen parallels. Well, on Exit Music when he sings, you know, and now we are one in that big mm-hmm crescendo at the end definitely that is where you you picture freddie mercury in an opera house with you know viking horns on absolutely when that fuzzy bass kicks in and he goes and you can laugh a spineless laugh that never ceases to make the fucking hairs on my forearm stand up it's amazing (laughs) and and we're gonna i hope we get to talk about seeing them live because jared actually all three of us Went to that went to that pair of Toronto concerts. It, it before we had ever mm-hmm. known each other, and we're just kind of there in different areas of the venue. <laughs> I remember. I, I think I was at night two, and you guys were both at night one. If that's correct. Um, uh, yeah, I I was at night one. I just remember Tom playing exit music for a film, and the first kind of minute minute forty is just him singing with the guitar, and where I feel like most bands would be going out for a smoke break. <laughs> They, they, the rest of the band is just standing around him in that circle and just watching him with that expression on their faces. And they must have seen him do this song 10,000 times, but they're still, they still seem to be in so much awe of what he does in that first kind of minute and 40. Mm. Um, here's a question that continues to be argued by fans and critics, and I'm sure the three of us, uh, despite their not having a coherent narrative. Many call OK Computer a concept album. What do you guys think? Is it a concept album? Well, I know they don't think so. Um, Radiohead don't think so. No, they don't think so. And, and right. you know, they're, they're well within their right to have an opinion on their art. But in, in my opinion, if OK Computer isn't a concept album, then is Channel Orange not a concept album? Is To Pimp a Butterfly not a concept album? Because I know OK, Compu- uh, OK Computer, Radiohead's argument is there's no consistent narrative in OK Computer. But I don't necessarily think a concept album is always based around a consistent like narrative that goes from you know track one to the the final track I, I i think it's you know i think there's a significant amount of storytelling that goes into a concept record which is an okay computer for sure uh and i think there's a connectivity of theme for a concept record and if you have those two things then i don't know i think it counts i mean thematic consistency is one thing that okay computer has but i don't really know how you get a concept album without that connective tissue of authorship of these guys sitting around thinking to themselves or were the lyricist or whatever thinking that this is this is what the album's going to be about this is the thread that we're following in terms of mm-hmm. a narrative and that's why it makes it a concept album rather than just something that has a lot of themes that all again connect into one uh consistent worldview i guess is definitely what's in that album but i don't hear i wouldn't hear what i call a concept album 
That's a good point. It's yeah. certainly more conceptual than the Benz. I'll tell you that much. Probably more conceptual the, than Kid A. It's more conceptual than pretty much any album they've made since or before. But does that necessarily render a concept album? And and and, and I'm not saying a rock opera. I'm not saying there's an uncle and an aunt with a name <laughs> and like <laughs> a, like a love story and like everyone holds hands at the end and they're like oh it's the end of, it's the end of this play this this three act play I mean is mass media under the propaganda model and the de evolution of society under tech enough of a thorough line to, to make OK Computer a concept album? Or do we go with what Johnny Greenwood say, said, and say, which was, I think one album title and one computer voice do not make a concept <laughs> album. That's a bit of a red herring. I think, I think, I think it's up to debate. I think that, I, once again, Blake and Johnny Greenwood's points are both very, uh, very valid, and they might be the correct points. Um, I, I just also think there's a, there, there's a higher degree of storytelling on OK Computer than you get from most albums of its ilk. And that's, you know, that's that's why I think it's up to debate. It seems to be kind of like, if, if not a concept album, it's right on the threshold of being a concept album. I mean, it just sounds too much to me. I mean, when I think concept albums, it's, it's sort of an artificial imposition that the, the musicians have imposed. Mm-hmm. Um, on on the creation, but really, it's an album that sounds like a fairly natural thematic territory for everyone involved, really. So, oh yeah, that that's just a big that's, that's a that's a basic tenant of just well, creating an album in general. Sergeant Pepper's is a concept album. Can we agree on that? Yeah, well, because they became this fake military band, and mm. you know, so it's a commitment. Really it's about committing really shears and what, but yeah, but that was all just you know a facade to sort of vaguely put out these notions to let the world know that paul mccartney had in fact uh passed away a number of years before the album. <laughs> i'm still waiting on those dental records <laughs> uh okay just to on on the note of sort of like concept and theme just sort of what's happening at the time, because many people look at this as a zeitgeist record. England's going through a political transition. The 1997 general election uh, happens just a month uh, before the record, I believe. Uh, and during its release, we get the victory of Tony Blair's new Labour government. Uh, a lot of critics considered the album an expression of the dissent and skepticism towards this new government and a reaction against the national mood of optimism. Uh, Tom York, quote, we had Blair coming into power, and there was a lot of optimism in the air. But I think a lot of it was really self-serving. Some good films got made, good music, ba ba ba. And there was, for a brief moment in Britain, the belief that the politics could be removed from self-interest and removed from vesting interest. But then it was obvious within months that wasn't going to happen. He also mentioned public reaction to the death of Princess Diana as a seriously significant touch point. Uh, the moment he, uh, when the British the British public realized that the royals had had us by the balls for the last hundred years, as had the media and the state. Not to mention, this is when the internet is becoming corporatized. During the period of 1997 to 2001, we get the first investment bubble related to the web. The Y2K bug comes into play in 1993. The Doomsday 2000 article published in Computer World sort of coins this. Um, there's the Cubicle movies. There seems to be a general amount of paranoia uh, in the air, as well as sort of an, uh, an artistic renaissance uh, that is happening 
call it marketing, but music videos are getting more audacious. Electronic music is becoming more well-budgeted. Um, do you guys ever think about this when you put this album on, or is it just bangers? Or do you go, you go, wow, 1997, eh? Like, what was that like to live in that time? I think about it a lot with just any art from that era. I feel like, like between around 97 to 99, you start to feel a lot of exhaustion uh, in kind of all forms of art, like kind of all of the optimism of the early 90s and the Berlin Wall coming down and, well, everything's all, we're all at peace and, you know, let's, let's all, you know, let's move forward together. That's all kind of gone. And I feel that there is this like real exhaustion with, just work work culture and and politics and technology that really starts to seep in anything within that era whether it's office space or okay computer um yeah which i i weirdly i weirdly connect that film and this album a lot actually um wow. and yeah I, I i i i uh i think i think about it a lot when i listen to this album even though i i wasn't there in that time period sure give us a little bit uh, uh a little more on that the comparison between uh, okay computer and office space uh both both are kind of these uh, both kind of follow you know whether it's tom york's songwriting or ron livingston's protagonist both of both of these characters are kind of expressing a displeasure with uh late stage capital capitalism and both are kind of you know trying to transcend above it in one way or another uh this once again it kind of goes back to the like you know the idea of like okay computer possibly being a concept album you have a lot of like superhero imagery uh in like and you know car crashes and it's like it's it it feels almost like tom york is looking to find a way to transcend above the malaise of modern living and and you know he's failing and uh, so is Ron Livingston's character in Office Space. Uh, and yeah, I, I don't know. That was a little bit all over the place, but I just no, spiritually, very they're very connected in my head. So this, you mentioned car crashes. Uh, I've I noticed that the Benz feels like a very introspective record. Like a lot of it is about like love, alienation, fame, very personal subjects. Whereas um, OK Computer is less pop forward, more abstract and far more macro. Like it's overarching themes that affect everyone and not just the people in this band. You mentioned car crashes. We have also have rampant consumerism, social alienation, emotional isolation, political malaise, overpopulation, mistrust in authorities, death, insanity, the illusion of safety offered by modern transportation, information overload, poll tax riots, transport, motorways, tram lines. Blake, yeah, I mean these are these are all things that tend to overwhelm, you know, your 18 to 25 year olds in the world that you list all those off and they can't help but get into this, you know, this funk of, of, of depression that inspired so many Gen Xers to make uh, music and write lyrics that sort of thumb their noses at all these stiff uptight adults leading the, leading the normal lives and driving to work every day. The kind of, you know, if you want to call it a critique, you can call it that and let down or or no surprises none of which is really that i don't know it's not that insightful in a way where you don't learn anything new about the process i don't think it's more of it's it's kind of the same venting or the same uh disappointment that you just 
get out of a lot of that generation of musicians. And, and, and honestly, most of them, when they get into their thirties, forties, do not write lyrics like that anymore. What do you guys think of fit or happier? Do you skip it? Do you play it? Do you like it? Do you think it's pretentious? Amazing. It's pretentious. It's just, it fits in with, <laughs> with what I, it fits in with what, what I just said about, you know, about the normies, like where you hates them. They can't stand. <laughs> I, we, well, had friends, I'm sure. we had friends over for dinner the other night and Jared was there and we were kind of talking about the, the OK, uh, OK computer and us recording this episode today. And he's like, I don't really know. One of our friends was like Tom Des. He goes, I don't really know the albums by name, but is OK computer the one with that really depressing piano song with the robot voice speaking on it? <laughs> and we're like, yes, that is that is the one. Jared, your thoughts on Fitter Happier? Uh, the, uh, so the ro- the robot voice is actually their uh, Apple Macintosh, uh, and they named uh, their Siri, Apple Macintosh. Siri. N- no, they named him Fred. Uh, <laughs> so that uh, so that uh, Fitter Happier is featuring a uh, wonderful guest appearance from Fred. That is actually uh, the same voice used by the software that Stephen Hawking used uh, I, yeah, to communicate, and that's a lot of people were like. Featuring Stephen Hawking, <laughs> like, did, <laughs> like did he drop some bars? Did he steal steal the show for a bit? Uh, sorry, Jared, go on. No, I think it, I think it's a perfect halfway point for a malaise-riddled dystopian slog of a record. I I I I I remember like when I was fourteen and hearing it for the first time. I was like, "What the fuck is this? This is awful." Uh, <laughs> but as I've as I've grown and as I've uh, you know, listen to the record more times. I, I never skip it. It's, it's always, it, it's, it's such a perfect halfway point. What do you think the definitive song on OK Computer is? Like the one, the set, perhaps that you can call it the centerpiece. You can consider it the best song on the album or just the one that really drives home what this album is all about to you. Uh, Blake, please. So I, I kind of have two answers. The first one being, paranoid android which is sort of an ironic answer because i used to love that song in high school because it's got those lyrics like when i when i when i'm king you'll be first against the wall which is this perfect mix of vindictive uh teenage impulses and delusions of grandeur and that you know keep on screaming gucci little piggy or whatever um (laughs) you know i thought that was really cool uh, when I in high school, now I hear that song and I get a sort of full-bodied cringe <laughs> when I hear it. So, to me, that song embodies the worst parts of that album. Not to say it's a bad album, but the things that I don't like about it are front and center in that song. Um, mm. More positively, the song that I look to when I think of what the album's about is when I hear something like "Let Down" and "No Surprises." Because it's just sort of, it's uh, it's a lot. It's they're very British songs. They're very British songs. I mean, bring up Pink Floyd again. That line, "Quiet Desperation," living on in quiet desperation is the English way. I think that's from one of the songs on. Uh, it's near the end of Dark Side, but it sounds, it sounds like something Damon Auburn would write on Park Life, even. Probably, probably. I mean, it's a touch song, and those songs embody that aspect and i do i think they do it better because there's less of that angry gripe that you hear in paranoid android 
Jared, before we get to yours, I just want to read something here that I read that I thought was pretty apt to what Paranoid Android is uh, thematically. What cements Paranoid Android is one of the greatest songs of its era is not what it stands for, but for what it spites. Is Paranoid Android the greatest song of the 90s? No. Paranoid Android is the rejection of the lie the 90s was trying to propagate. The Berlin Well fell and Clinton played his saxophone. The good guys won and capitalism prevailed. Tom York's lyrics paint a picture of a strange world where advertising overlords and fake democracies rule the roost. The noise of it all is just too much to take. Listen close enough and you might realize that York isn't singing about some strange sci-fi world. He's musing on a reality you and you or I had no control of. Communi- communism is not the dystopia we should have been so concerned about. What we should have been scared of is what happens when the banks and corporations get to run amok unchecked. But Paranoid Android is no revolution song york isn't trying to mobilize the masses he's just having a laugh he's taking a big open-eyed look at reality and saying hey isn't this all kind of funny and it is it's fucking hilarious who's that angsty but eloquent writer that's i want to uh, know his name that's that's you that's you good sir you you know what I'm, i've done that i did that to nate crater on the nick cave podcast and he was like that's beautiful that's beautiful who said that he goes it's you he goes i knew it was me i knew it was me <laughs> you guys love to do that eh uh, um Jared, you want to maybe like explain? And what? And I get the GoPro strap. Explain. <laughs> <laughs> out all the all, all the eloquent words that I have spilled on your website, and that rather crude imagery is now my legacy. Hey, it's bro! Great. When we do the Bill Cal- when we do the Bill Callahan episode, you'll be on. You'll, I'll read an excerpt from you. Trust me, we won't be doing a Sun Kill Moon one anytime soon. <laughs> I gotta tell you, I, heard, and this is for everybody at home. Go check it out. The, the 40 greatest albums of the 2010s. He's not giving himself enough credit. That Life of Pablo entry is probably one of the best things we've ever put on the goddamn website. <laughs> it's very, oh, it's, and it's, 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 it's a amazing. lot more than GoPro strap dicks, even even though that made me laugh my ass off. Um, Jared, you want to sorry, go back to Paranoid Android here. Explain uh, what you what you meant, and and if that not that song. Uh, which one would be your definitive OK Computer song? Uh, I find that the three or four that people usually choose are Paranoid Android, uh, Let Down, and uh, no surprises like uh, Blake just said, and Lucky. And I find that I kind of go between Paranoid Android, No Surprises, and Lucky. Uh, no Surprises is kind of like it distills a lot of the thematic subject matter of Paranoid Android and kind of gets the point across in a quicker and more pleasant package. Um, but yeah, no, I, 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 I just, Paranoid Android hits us. I, I guess I, I usually go back to Paranoid Android just cause it scratches a certain catharsis, uh, that sometimes I need, uh, when Jared just, wants to be king and just executing people. He's I'm got sorry. a running. He's got a list. He's got a running list, and he hears that song, and he's like, "One of these days, one of these days, line him uh, up, line him up, right to the moon." Uh, yeah, I, I, I might be starting to understand the incel music comparison when I, I hear it from the lens of life. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, I don't want to kill anyone, um, but, but um. Yeah, I, I I understand the anger and I understand the frustration and I understand the the compulsion to kind of just like sometimes all you can do is laugh and sometimes all you can do is just go wow we're fucked and uh, I get that every time I listen to Paranoid Android and I 
maybe I'll grow out of it, Blake. Maybe once I I hit 27, 28, maybe I'll maybe I'll maybe I'll start cringing with it too. But I haven't hit that point yet. It, it's no, it's not. I mean, it's really just that one song on the album that makes me that evokes that reaction from but, me, it, but... It, it, it's so larger than life and it, it doesn't take itself as seriously as i feel that like some people interpret it and like i'm i i that, that's why i can't i i just find it so it's just so ridiculous but that's i mean that's a, a funny thing to say about radiohead because they're one of the most facially serious bands out of any out there even though i, I i'm not trying to say that they themselves necessarily are serious i really don't know but you listen to the music and it's not that, you know, you use, I think you used the word zany before it, it comes off as very serious a lot of the times. And especially after this on kid a amnesiac, um, you know, it's yeah, not blur. Sure. It's not blur. You know, it's not blur. <laughs> it's not, yeah, blur is um, funny. I, I would say that I'd be a little bit hesitant to be like, Oh, like I don't want this guy Blake, and you know, criticizing Paranoid Android this way. And then I realized how cynical Radiohead are, and how they probably listen to this podcast and actually agree with Blake more than me and Jared <laughs> for most of this stuff. And be like, yeah, that's right. We cringe too when we hear this shit. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, I mean, think about. It. I mean, what Tom York is actually really, really good at doing that they don't want to admit on this album is that he's great at writing love songs. He's really great at writing love songs. He's really good at writing love songs, and those tend to be, I think, a lot of people's favorite songs. You know, like "True Love Waits," mm-hmm. "High and Dry," uh, "High and Dry," um, <laughs> you know, mo- "Motion Picture Soundtrack," "Nude." Yeah, very Nude. good. Yeah, House you know, of cards, these are, cards. These are these are great ballads, and they're not ones that are meant to be like the placating radio hits. Because I know that's how sometimes people use love songs and ballads or whatever. These are some of I, I think radio hits best songs. Very well said. For as cynical as OK Computer is, it it it, it does end on the tourist, um, which and is a great I, song and it's sad, an amazing song and sad. Oh, sad! I don't think the tourist. I I I the I, I the, the tourist makes me happy. It barks at no one, like it's seen a ghost. <laughs> And just, hey man, slow down. Slow, slow down. It's it's this you idiot. Slow the fuck down. That's what that's I, the whole point. And I think it's I great. love it. I think I think it feels like the whole album was you sitting in a tramway and in that car and just seeing buildings and trees and billboards just moving at, at bullet speeds on a bullet train. And here's the tourist just to end it off, which is just very slow laboring waltz that ends with that single bell sound. And it's just such a perfect way to end that album for me, you know, um, Selway, uh, beating on a triangle. Is it a triangle? Amazing. Amazing. Uh, you know, let's take a little short break here. And when we come back, I got a bit of album trivia and then, uh, we can talk a bit more about the GoPro strap dicks. (laughs) Sounds good. (laughs) Sounds good guys. Nice. We're back uh, talking about OK Computer. I got some trivia here for everybody. Uh, just sort of kind of research that I found on my computer. Not a lot of it verified. <laughs> but we'll see if we can litigate some of that. Uh, so this one I can verify. In America, to distribute the album to critics, 
Capital sent 1,000 cassette players to prominent members of the press and music industry, each with a copy of the album permanently glued inside to avoid leaks, but also also to ensure it was heard in full in sequence and in headphones. It's pretty cool, no? That's very cool. Very, uh, what's it? Uh, very make, it's a very makeshift, makeshift move. Sounds expensive, though. You got to buy everybody a fucking Walkman and a set of headphones. And it's like, <laughs> you only allowed to listen to this one album uh, on this Walkman, but a lot of value perhaps 20 years later, no? Yeah, that's like you 2 uploading their album to your <laughs> Continuing the U2 comparison. Except OK Computer is nowhere near as good as No Line on the Horizon. <laughs> That's well, now. That's a take. That's, that's a take. I, that being ironic, guys. I should have. I should, there's, a, there's a song. The, the lead single on No Line on the Horizon is called "The Miracle of Joey Ramone." Yeah, great title. Isn't that the album too, where they were trying to write the goal? Like their explicit goal was to write songs that would stand the test of time, and they called them future songs. Oh my god! As far as OK Computer. The sequence of tracks took two weeks to finalize. They kept moving the songs around to really make sure. I got to tell you, it's an amazing sequence of songs. And the, the final three beeps that finish Airbag, doop, 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 and it goes right, yeah, it goes right into Paranoid Android. Uh, alternatively, I remember hearing about Nirvana not having a track list sequence for Nevermind when they went to Geffen and they gave them the the final copy and <laughs> Kurt just standing there going like they're like oh do you have a track list ready and Kurt just goes Teen Spirit in Bloom Come As You Are uh, Breed Lithium Polly and he like literally does it on the spot <laughs> um, Radiohead planned to produce a video for every song on the album until Paranoid Android and Karma Police went way over budget uh, what, Jared, where do you stand? What's the better video there? Mm, Karma Police. Jonathan Glazer. I didn't know that. Yeah. I lo- oh, fuck. The Under the Skin director for anyone who's uh, keeping count at home. Or not keeping count. You know what I mean? I, I didn't know it was Jonathan Glazer. That's cool. Sexy Beast is even better. Than Under the Skin? <laughs> Sexy Beast is fucking awesome. Sexy Beast well, is fucking awesome. Well, Sexy Beast is an actual movie. <laughs> what does that mean um, like, I mean I, it's, it's a more conventional movie I suppose but I mean I think people just like the idea of Scarlett Johansson driving around Scotland picking up any anyone it could be you, you know? <laughs> that's not that's not the, the film's deeper than that I feel mm, no it's not <laughs> alright we'll, we'll agree to disagree Sexy Beast two, is amazing though. get these two on a film podcast um, <laughs> uh, just so everyone knows uh, Blake has the most controversial letterboxed account in the business he gave Get Out two and a half stars uh, just just looking through Blake's uh, ratings is, is just one of the most amazing experiences you'll have on social media you Sicario, should definitely check it out Sicario took a beating too in Whiplash right uh yeah, those whiplash <laughs> sucks. <laughs> um, MTV censored the Paranoid Android video because it had nipples in it, cartoon nipples. A bit. Oh, nice choice. Uh, Johnny Greenwood wrote, wrote, "They've taken out all the nipples, 
and yet they leave in, <laughs> and yet they leave in the stuff where a man song through his own limbs, which is peculiar. Whereas if we'd have a beach full of babes and bikinis grinding away, that would have been fine. <laughs> was that was that one of the ideas on the on the drawing board? It's just like twerking. It's like, <laughs> hey, I think you got the big pimpin' Jay Z video, and you should get mixed up with like the Radiohead watch. It's like on a boat in Calabasas. <laughs> Could we get two chains on the next Radiohead music video? I think yeah. it would be great. I think they would do that too. If Paul Schrader, <laughs> if Paul Schrader can get Cedric the Entertainer, <laughs> uh, released the same week as the Prodigy's "Fat of the Land." Interesting. That is a that you would be spending fifty bucks at the record store that week. Uh, Blake, you like that one? Prodigy's "Fat of the Land." I don't think I've ever heard that in my life. You know Smack My Bitch Up, Firestarter. I know Firestarter. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Paranoid Android is the second longest Radiohead song in their discography. Do you want to guess what the longest one is? Ooh. Fuck, what is Uh, that? Isn't it Glass House? Nope. I'll give you a hint. It's on Kid A. Motion, motion picture soundtrack? Very good. Very good. Which is seven minutes, seven odd minutes in pay or not Android. It's, it's, it, it's, not, it's not actually, though. It's actually like three minutes, and then there's a bunch of silence, and then is there's that... some weird fucking synth sounds yeah, you, afterwards. Yeah, do you count like the tree fingers reprise at the end? <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that's exactly that what it is. It's tree, tree fingers. fingers. It's tree fingers. Yeah. I love that song. It's good. That, instrumental, right? Is Tree Fingers instrumental? It's the, it's the Brian Eno ripoff. Yeah, it's, oh, it's it, yeah exactly. It's like, a, it's, like an amb- it's like an ambient track. The kicking and screaming Gucci little piggy lyric, which we've already <laughs> mentioned on this podcast in Paranoid Android, was inspired by a woman Tom York encountered in a bar. She was off her box on the old <laughs> and Colombian. Tur- and she turned out to be a pig. <laughs> someone, spilled, someone spilled a drink on her. And according to York, who was terrified, she turned into a demon. <laughs> that's that's uh, that's true. That's uh, can, I, I believe that's in the Rolling Stone piece. He said that. I believe so. I believe so. Tough break for this lady who had a drink spilled on her. Eh? <laughs> Got commemorated in this classic '90s alternative rock song. She's like, all I did was get mad at a fucking guy who spilled a fucking pilsner on me. It's, honestly, it sounds like she's the victim here. <laughs> Yeah, just like Sue's Radiohead. She's like, yep, I was at this bar at this time. Uh, There are more than a few nods to the Beatles. Happiness is a warm gun as an inspiration for Paranoid Android, but also Mm -hmm. the the borrowing of a melody from Sexy Sadie to create the chorus for Karma Police. (laughs) The strings on climbing up the walls, uh, Jared already mentioned, were – Made Johnny Greenwood excited at the prospect of doing string parts that didn't sound like Eleanor Rigby. Massive Attack were in talks with Radiohead about remixing the entirety of OK Computer. Didn't happen. Remember Daddy G G mentioned that if you remix a whole album, you have to spend a lot of time doing it. Treat it with a lot of respect. It would have taken us months to work on it. Radiohead's American label Capital saw the album as commercial suicide. And they lowered their sales forecast from two million to five hundred thousand. 
I just wanted to ask on the, on that note, is it weird that this album's such a hit for being so downer? No, that's par for the course in the 1990s. Yeah, I would agree. And or even the 2000s and today. Like if okay could okay computer work today. If they, you know, if they did do that twerking music video that we just talked about. <laughs> I, I was going to say if it was okay computer produced by Hitboy. Then yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and, there, and there's a really, and there's a really obnoxious producer tag that comes at the beginning of every song. Yo, Pierre. Yeah. Right. Or whatever Johnny Greenwoods would be. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Uh, let's talk about the idea of overhype here, because when this album came out, it was a massive hit. It went five times platinum in the UK, sells more than 4.5 million copies. It's, they released it in Japan on May 21st. Then it comes out in the UK on June 16th, Canada on June 17th, and then the US on July 1st. Blake, do you have any idea why they did that, why they would space it out like that? Once again, Japan May 21st, the UK June 16th, Canada June 17th, and the US on July 1st. I know that's usual, but honestly, I don't know why they do that. Like Japan usually gets an early release and they usually get bonus tracks, at least back when they released physical media. Um, and then, you know, each region got its own release date. Now, of course, it's all unanimous. They can't do it now because of leaks. And why would you even do that anyways? You're just going to download it, right? Yeah. Uh, so Radiohead go on tour for almost an entire year. They had just gotten off a 110-date tour for the Benz before they recorded this, giving you sort of the idea of how fatigued they were. And as shown in their movie, meeting people is easy, but also what would inspire the subject matter behind Kid A, if there is any subject matter really. Um, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> Kid A is definitely like a subject matter void. <laughs> Uh, well, Tom, yeah. Tom York was literally throwing lyrics into a, like words into a hat, and then he would pick the words out and he'd be like, "Okay, that's my lyrics for this song." Yeah, you want to talk about zany? Now that's Tom York like walks in the studio, the top hat spins around, takes it off, and pulls out a lyric. <laughs> Just like uh-huh. he's got a book of Mad Libs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh-huh, morning bell. I swear to God, I'm not. I'm not being apocryphal. That's like literally that was his strategy. It's, yeah, it's, it's called. It's like weird. William Burroughs cut up technique. Yeah. Wow. Exactly. Uh, so this album was not only famous for how great it was and uh, kind of a watershed moment in alternative rock music. It's kind of gone on to symbolize opinion and like the music press in general because as soon as it was released, the British press made it feel really important as you know an album that really understood the times that kind of – Borrowed from the ideology of Norman of, of Noam Chomsky, uh, the Tibetan Book of the Dead, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, <laughs> there there was an urgency to listen to it as immediately as possible. Whereas the Benz, it took people a little bit of time. The moment OK Computer came out, everybody was kind of frolicking around it and lining up for it and making sure that they heard it and making sure that they had opinions of it. Journalists seemed to be taking a lot of liberties far more than they did with the Benz in calling it integral and incredible and impressive. Q magazine in 1998 and 2006 again called it the greatest album of all time. <laughs> in 1998, the year after it came out, they literally said this is the greatest album of all time. 
Well, you know, at the end of at the end of the twentieth century, what was Britain but a nation in want of an identity, having lost its empire yep. at the end, you know, or, or earlier on, and now it's the nineties, they've got this resurgent Brit pop, and mm-hmm. suddenly everyone's the zeitgeist. You've mm-hmm. got blurs the zeitgeist, yep. waste the zeitgeist. Yep. Oh no, it's radiohead. Spice girls. When, uh, and then <laughs> the absolute pinnacle, of course, is Spice Girls. Right. That's that's what Britain has. Uh, uh, Guy Ritchie. Guy Ritchie. I, I believe you call all of this Cool Britannia is what the what people were calling it, right? Well, Guy Ritchie until he was, of course, you know, married to Madonna. Fall with Madonna. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't put out any good movies. They divorced, and he and he he's back at the back at the batting plate. Uh, Pitchfork gave this album a ten. I believe it is the fir- one of the first tens. That they ever put out the review. You guys should go see the review. It's archived online. It's only two hundred and thirty words. Oh yeah, wow! It's one, of, it's one of those awesome Pitchfork reviews that they took down from the website, and you have to go on to what is it? Yeah, web archive. Yeah, he's right. With the Wayback Machine or whatever right. it is to find the old like Ryan Domball, Ryan Schreiber reviews that were like way more controversial, like Mark Hogan or whoever it was. Um, there's spelling there's mistakes in ones. it. There's spelling mistakes in it. Yeah, well, <laughs> the risks, the <laughs> risks. Um, so yeah, a lot of like kind of hoopla uh, around this record when it came out, and, and ever since, uh, I think people have like, I mean, like internet hype and the internet machine has really kind of um, taken this to a lot of records. I found a really good quote uh, from uh, Tim Footman. Um, who said that the song's technical innovations and lyrical concerns demonstrated the key paradox of this album. The musicians and producer are delighting in the sonic possibilities of modern technology. The singer, meanwhile, is railing against its social, moral, and psychological impact. It's a contradiction mirrored in the culture clash of the music, with the real guitars negotiating an uneasy standoff with the hacked-up, processed drums. You know who it reminds me of? What? Tyler, the creator. <laughs> no, it, it, go it, off, it gang, go off. No, no, it reminds me of Tyler. It reminds me of Tyler, the creator. This, 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 this person who used the internet to his advantage, understood it so well, rose to fame, and then became a fucking technophobe. And now, now he like he can't stand the internet like he's he's terrified of it it's this kind of dichotomy of or uh, or it's 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 kind of a paradox like the internet is why tyler is who he is and yet he hates it and it's exactly it, it reminds me of what of how you just described okay computer what do you think of that juxtaposition do you hear that this kind of fight struggle between technology reaping Completely. the benefits and uh, the organicness of the music Totally. Um, this is just a total anecdote, a, a total sidebar. But apparently, like during the recording of the album, Andy Green was talking about this on a podcast. Apparently, they like took a tour of like the Apple headquarters, and it was just like one of the most boring experiences of their entire life. Um, wow. Take do that. Take uh, do what you will with that information. Uh, but uh, it's just an interesting little little side note, Mr. Blake. They took a tour, like they're in the middle of recording. Like, let's go, yeah. go tour the Apple. Let's go, fly, let's go fly to uh, Silicon Valley. Go That's check out the Apple headquarters. I think There's got to be one in England. Was... There's got to be one in England. 
Because I think they – no, it might have been in America because I think between 93 and 98, they were touring to some capacity every month uh, with the exception of January of 96. Apparently that was the only month they had off from touring in that whole like five-year stretch. It was Alanis Morissette's idea. <laughs> These guys, was the uh, guys, you, guys, I put together a tourist, you guys package, check out Apple. a tourist package ready for you guys. Disneyland, the Apple factory. <laughs> <laughs> you got to trust me. The factory. The Apple factory. Yeah, she used to go, oh, go yeah. to Taiwan. No, this is before. Was it back then they had Taiwan? Um, I want to give you an idea of uh, how big this band was from the guest list from their Irving Plaza show in New York the, the week before OK Computer came out. I don't want to have boring, lame tea and scones at the Plaza Hotel under Eloise's portrait. Why are you doing this to us? Oh, is that from The Sopranos? Yes, it is. <laughs> sorry. We do that every year. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, so this is a week before the UK release of uh, OK Computer. This is in early June. This is in New York. Most of the audience had only heard Paranoid Android up until that point. because They didn't release any other singles, no other videos. They open with Lucky. They close with Blackstar. They play two encores. This is a guest list that surfaced in 2013 uh, from who was at the concert. Blur, Oasis, Lenny Kravitz, Courtney Love, Madonna and her manager Guy Osiri, R.E.M., Eddie Vedder and Mike McCready from Pearl Jam, Beastie Boys who were spotted watching on the balcony with Rick Rubin and his former business partner Russell Simmons. U2 brought a party of 18. Marilyn Manson brought a party of 14. Dave Dave Matthews watched the concert next to Brad Pitt. Michael Stipe sat next to Bono. According to Uncut Magazine, Ed O'Brien moved Madonna to ensure his mother had the best table in the house. Love you, Ed. (laughs) Models Kate Moss, Amber Valletta, and Shalom Harlow are there as well. The industry buzz is just insane. A mix of kind of front office artists, front office and artists trying to see this band and hear this music before anybody else does. Is that like, I wanted like, I'm trying to figure out how to word this here. Is this more indicative of all the hype surrounding Radiohead, the greatness perhaps, or like, why why do you why like why are all the celebrities jumping on board so hard to see this band? I want to start with Jared because I know Blake is going to have something kind of roasting <laughs> on this whole idea. Do you think it's cool that all these celebrities were at the first uh kind of coming out party for this record or do you think it's kind of yeah, like I I I I do. Um sorry, I don't I sorry, I I didn't mean to cut off your question. Um but uh like I I like I don't mean to be too equivocating. Uh, but I think it's I think it's both. I think I think the hype is definitely a huge part of it. But also, I mean, it's it, it seems wherever Brad Pitt goes, that's usually kind of the artist of the 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 artist of uh, of 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 the day of the zeitgeist. I know Brad Pitt was like a is like a huge fan of Frank Ocean as well. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think greatness recognizes greatness, and Radiohead was fucking. Um, like you know, they were blowing up at this point. So yeah, I could totally see a huge show at the at the Plaza Hotel, and you know, all this like fucking stacked. Like it, it could be a fucking Scorsese cast that goes to see this fucking film. It's good, or, or um goes to see this concert. It's crazy. It's not the hotel, by the way. It's just it was a venue that was called the Plaza. 
Oh, well, I'm a jackass. That, there, there goes your Eloise joke. Completely, completely <laughs> well, irrelevant. Now, now, it makes, now, now it just makes no sense. Well, I do like the idea of Rady Hood playing the hotel reception room. And concierge yeah, but, desk like, just causing like that. Like they, yeah, like they booked out the conference room. Everyone's got name tags. The little, like, you know, how did you? Covers. How did neither of you call me out the first time I said it? This is, this is like funny. one of the... I, didn't, I also I didn't get it honestly. I it kind of went over my head a bit. Well, it's just because I'm stupid, apparently. Anyways, no, like, st- give yourself some more credit. Oh, now he's hosting. Okay. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I know, I know. You wanted like, no, I, okay. I'm done. I'm done. Mike, Mike, Dom. I don't. I, I, I don't know. I wouldn't. I wouldn't gauge Radiohead's greatness by the fact that you know Madonna had a table in the Plaza Hotel to watch them. <laughs> How, can Marilyn Manson bring a party of fourteen just sounds like a bad idea. <laughs> now that we know about it, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. in light of it, it was probably a party of fourteen-year-olds when you think. About it. Oh, <laughs> oh, um, I don't have much more. Uh, I know that Jared, you watched a bit of the do- the tour documentary. Do you maybe want to talk a bit about that? It kind of just feels like the anti-concert film. Um, it, was, it, it, give it, us a bit remind- more. Of a, give us a bit more. Of like, and introduce what it is, what it's called. What, like, tell us a bit about it. Okay, it kind of feels almost like. Well, what is it? Okay, so it is technically a concert film following around Radiohead as uh, as they're touring. Okay, computer. And this is called Meeting um, People Is Easy. Meeting people is easy. Uh, the director's name is like Grant G, I think. Yeah, that's right. Um, and uh, yeah, no. So it's basically uh, Mr. G following around Radiohead as they're on tour. But the editing of it is like very, very abstract and um, kind of over, kind of overwhelming almost. Like you're like 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 sounds are blending in. You're hearing. You'll be like seeing like concert footage or like footage of like radiohead walking around and having pictures taken of them but you'll also be hearing like colin greenwood like doing like a radio interview and he's just exhausted the best thing that i could basically to describe it i would say is it's like if you took don't look back by bob dylan and you took the exhaustion of Bob Dylan being on tour in that documentary. And if you kind of try to take the feeling of exhaustion that was being captured in a very naturalistic way uh, in that documentary done by, what was it, D.A. Pennebecker? Yeah. Pennebecker, right. Um, is, there, now, is there an, an analog scene to Bob Dylan arguing with Donovan? Oh, <laughs> insulting, that's the best scene insulting in that Donovan by playing It's All Over Now, Baby Blue. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I think yeah, like that. exactly. Uh, what is, it's Radiohead, Travis, you know? it's Coldplay. It's the verb, the verb. <laughs> or like Matt Bellamy of Muse. Oh, oh yeah. Basically, I just want, I want to finish this thought real quick. Uh, I, I, I just, I would basically, if you took that exhaustion that's being captured on camera, and if you abstracted it and kind of like applied the exhaustion that Radiohead's feeling and you applied it to the editing itself and the filmmaking itself and all the technical elements and like it it, it, to create this kind of abstract experience that's meant to emulate exhaustion and meant to emulate the isolation on touring that comes from touring that's what meeting people is easy is and it's 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 i I couldn't finish it actually because it started to get kind of upsetting um just because I was so overwhelmed by the feelings that the editing was kind of evoking within me. Um, I wanted to ask this before we take off here. You guys saw Radiohead in Toronto. Blake, can you confirm it was night one 
versus like it's the one where they played like uh, everything in his right place and no surprises and Karma Police. That's the one. Did you guys witness the moment of silence that was botched <laughs> and made national news, pitchfork news, when Radiohead tried to hold the moment of silence for Scott Johnson, their beloved drum tech who was killed in 2012 at Downsview Park in Toronto? Do you remember seeing this? I remember, I remember Tom York getting up and, and making the speech very – heartfelt speech about losing someone close to him and then requesting a moment of silence, which lasted all of three seconds, <laughs> yeah, three seconds. Before, before someone screams out creep. <laughs> I, you know, as if he's, as if, as if this guy was thinking great, a moment of silence. Here's my chance. Here's my chance someone's- to ask for the song that he would never that I would want to hear if I had not told him. Somebody in the audience, I've, I've seen the footage and someone in the audience was like, justice for Scott Johnson! <laughs> As if they were like, ooh, we like the, the, that's, I like this guy. He's good. Get him a backstage pass. Jared? So I, I, w- I was actually at general, general admission. I was like, I was very, very close to Tom York while, you know, this three seconds of silence lasts and then suddenly everyone is, like, talking and it's just, everything's gone amok. And I'm just looking at, like, the facial reaction of Tom York and I couldn't quite ascertain what the emotion was on his face exactly, but it was nothing positive. And I was just terrified at that point. I was like, oh god, he's gonna, like, walk off. Like, that's it. We're done. Like, the the show's over. Uh, And I was absolutely shocked when he decided to, I believe he finished on Karma Police. And uh, I was shocked that he even did that. Do you remember remember what he said uh, before they went into Karma Police after the moment of silence? He went... He said something like, thank you. Yeah, he went... Thank you for that. <laughs> Thank you for that. Yeah. It, 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 it. The next day I was in general admission and this is all over the fucking news. And I remember there are people next to me who were threatening people in the crowd. And we're like, if they try to do a moment of silence tonight and anybody makes a noise, I'm just going to punch you in the face. Okay. <laughs> and uh, yeah, they played an amazing set and haven't been back since. And I don't, I don't know if they ever will. Someone tried to start a fight. We were talking about violence. Someone tried to start a fight with me at my concert. Over what? The be- your opinions Over, on the Benz? Oh, <laughs> yeah, my opinions on the Benz. Uh, the Benz, the worst record of all time. Uh, I'm just kidding. But um, no, it was basically I was trying to like get as close to the stage as possible. And this one guy, he had both of his like like a whole like a whole like two persons length in his arms, kind of covering each each of like the handlebars and I was just trying to see if I could maybe go in. So I very politely asked, like, I was like, Hey, is it okay? Are you saving a spot or is it okay if I, I squeezed in? And uh, he just looked at me and said, I'm uh, I'm pretty good right here. And he just looked at me and like, he gave me this fucking death stare. And I was like, okay. And then I walked back and then he kept looking at me and I was like, is this dude going to like try to take a swing at me? I just asked if I could like. <laughs> it, I I, I it, it was really really bizarre. Like, are you sure you're at the right talk- concert? <laughs> like like here's, like here's here's the thing. He was talking to his girlfriend at the time, 
and I, and I could finally he had calmed down and he stopped looking at me and I could hear him. And uh, she was just like, uh, so how are you liking the show? And he's like, well, I don't really know the band. So like, uh, you know, I, 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 I can't really tell you. And like in my head, I'm like, OK, so you don't even know the band. And I, I, it was fucking weird. It was and one of the weirdest. Look, you're looking at him thinking, I'll see you in the pit. <laughs> oh, I, just, I really hope they play the national anthem or myxomatosis because like we're not getting any fake, fake plastic trees pushing around. Um, um, uh, Jared, one last question and then we'll let everybody go here. Um, yes. What's your controversial take on the Ben? So you kind of previewed that at the beginning of the pod. You never got to present it. Okay, it's I, been great, guys. I will <laughs> I just don't like it very much. I mean, like, okay, there, like, there are songs off the bends that I very, very much, I very much enjoy. I very much enjoy High and Dry. I very much enjoy um, Street Spirit, uh, Planet Talix. Like, you know, there, there are certain songs I, but I just overall, I just find it very, very saccharine. Like, I hear like the opening notes of my iron of my iron lung that kind of, and it kind of just feels like I've taken like a big sip of like orange crush and just swished it around my mouth. Like it gives me cavities. Like the whole the whole album, it's just it's so saccharine and it's so loud and uh, it's so loud. It's so it's so it's fucking too loud. Loud. It's so Radiohead, your album is too loud. But it's there's something about the production that just fucking hurts my ears. And like, uh, it has my most skips on any Radiohead album. I don't like Black Star. I don't like My Iron Lung. I don't like Bulletproof. Um, I think Just is. Like I, I actually like Just, but like for all of like the wrong reasons. Like once again, it's just it's it's very aggressive, and so Tom York's lyricism just isn't quite there yet for me. Um, it 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 it's kind of it's kind of juvenile a lot of it, and uh, and he's also doing this weird thing when he sings, like he's like really like stretching out the solo, blame it on the black star, like he does that kind, like he like really stretches. Oh, I love that chorus. I fucking it's a hate soaring it. chorus. I fucking I, hate I, it. I, the Benz the is perhaps my favorite work of theirs. I it was my entry point. And I'm in the minority. I I know. I I, I know. And I I'm sorry, Aaron. I will let you. I will let you finish. Um, but I just I feel that Pablo Honey gets a lot of shit for a lot of the stuff that I'm railing against the Benz. And the Benz is considered this masterpiece. And to me, it's not that different from Pablo Honey. It it, it, it it's a progression, but it's still a very like I, I don't know. It's still very rough, in my opinion. There are so I'm, much. Sorry, there's so much better of a band on the Benz than they are in Pablo Honey. And the, 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 the yes, they are. The, the songs are catchier. They are. Uh, whereas I find Pablo Honey kind of boring. It's very one dimensional. Whereas the moment you turn on the Benz and Planet Telex, it kind of like opens your mind in a big way, and it kind of. And then now you're in that album, and you're just kind of sitting through it. Uh, I will say, Side B has some skips. But the first seven songs, I'll even say eight to my iron lung because most people do like that song. No skips. <laughs> uh, what can you remind me of the first? Can you remind me of the first eight tracks? Planet Telex, the Benz. Okay, great track. The Benz is Good. fucking awesome. Skip. Are you kidding Skip me? Skip it. Uh, then it goes high and dry. Fake plastic trees. Great song. Great song. Well, those are better than great songs. Those are, those are amazing songs. Okay, they are they are amazing songs. I will I will I will concede. I love Bones. Mm. <laughs> That's kind of proto airbag. <laughs> what airbags about is on Bones as well, but 
it's 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 how much of a proponency you have for '90s rock. Uh, that is nice dream, just my iron lung. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, okay. Uh, there, there, there's some, there's some good tracks there, but there's also a lot, of, and there's a lot. There's, there, I, I counted at least four skips for me. Blake, where are you at on it? Love it. I love dance. <laughs> it's like, it's like a thinking man's grunge music, like the Pixies. I wouldn't say that. The Pixies is, it, it's not even. I, it, I, I don't, it, see, I don't really hear the Pixies that much in that in them, but I hear. I mean, I love classic rock in 70s early mid 70s rock glam rock and you hear so much of that on the bends especially on a song like black star or the title track i mean these are just they're right out of the playbook and they are doing it in a way that's not i mean i'm not saying it's unoriginal but it hits it hits a certain sweet spot i have for that kind of music and at the same time songs like high and dry Fake Plastic Trees, um, Street Spirit are all very well-written songs. I think that, I think the lyrics are great. I think the lyrics are great. I think the, the message behind them is one that is intriguing and that I still think about a lot. And I guess you could criticize it in a way for still not really sounding like a totally um, unique experience in the way that people are accustomed to thinking about Radiohead now. It'd be really interesting to see what their legacy would have been if that, like they had just not made another one after the Benz <laughs> because the Benz is, I feel like always comes to that asterisk that people think of as like, Oh, before Radiohead was, was Radiohead, which is a weird reputation to have considering how much people generally love the Benz. Lots of people love that album. Yeah. I would say and what's interesting about that, very well said, and it's not like Jared, yours is well said too. That's honestly, I completely understand that sort of the, the deficit uh, between. I also accept that. I also what, accept that my opinion is like not the popular opinion. I also sorry. Yeah. One of the, the Benz has riffs. Yes. Okay, and that's exactly that's what I'm trying to say. That people play. Yes. So so everything and that in rainbows does too. But everything between those two albums, when it comes to OK Computer, Kid A, and Amnesiac, maybe Hail the Thief, that's a little bit more on the riff side as well. They have to pull out a lot of equipment to be able to play that stuff live. Mellotrons, theremins, keyboards, double drummer. <laughs> An Andes Martino. Andes Martino. Thank you so much. I actually have no idea if that's how you pronounce it. I've never heard it's it It's an said ancient loud, instrument, but... but- that's what those songs get huge reactions because you're seeing those things happen in front of you. You're seeing paranoid Android happen in front of you. You're seeing everything in its right place happen in front of you. Whereas those songs really exist as studio uh, incarnations. Whereas the bends, that is like the battle of the bands. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like five guys, <laughs> guitar, drum, bass. What can we do with these instruments and how far can we push the format in this way? Uh, and I think that there's a charm to that, especially when you look at the other. Yeah, and, and, and like it's just an impressive mastery of that style of music, of that classic rock, just traditional rock sound that they just nailed on that album, and then never really needed to do it again. And the sentimental songs really hit hard, and the loud songs really make you want to bang your head. And I think that's that's a really good like when you look at really great bands, you're like, oh, how how. 
how much feel is in like the sad songs and how much rock is in the rock songs. And the Benz is really like, if we had a report card for that, it'd be a straight A's, you know? Um, but yes, Jared, you're not, I'm, I'm not, I'm just joshing you here. I actually do understand what you're saying. And I'm kind of like, Oh, that motherfucker. He like, like he kind of hit the nail on it with his opinion. <laughs> but no, but, but I, I also totally understand the perspective that you guys are coming from. Um, I, I just, it, it, it's, it's very, uh, it's a very pastiche record and I guess I just don't always vibe with the, <laughs> the pastiche playground it's playing in. Fair. Uh, Jared, you want to end us off here? Uh, Radiohead, your favorite band. What you love, like why you love them so much, and say goodbye to everybody. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, it's not in cell music. I swear to God. Um, <laughs> if you're if you're thinking about trying them out, but you're don't, a little don't let them steal your last words. Don't let them steal your last words. <laughs> if, if you're scared that like Radiohead is like futuristic Weezer. Uh, Give them a try. They're 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 a lot more warm and inviting than you think they That's are. That's honestly not bad. Future like the, we- the Weezer of the future. <laughs> the Weezer of the future. Uh, thank you guys so much for being here today, Blake. You came all the way from New York via computer. <laughs> uh, really great to have. Boy, are my arms tired. <laughs> really great to have both of you on the show, Jared. You're obviously a linchpin to stage dives, but Blake, really happy to have. Your candor and sense of humor, your sincerity uh, as part of what we do. Um, I really hope you guys had a good time. I really hope everybody at home enjoyed this episode. Um, Thanks very much for being here. How about a you're welcome or a nope? I'm just joking. I'm just joking. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, guys.